Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Premier League Round 8. A bad weekend for our insect friends, the Bees at Brentford, Hornets with Liverpool and Anton Deck at St James's. Uh, we'll be running up all of the big stories, saying mashallah to Mo Salah and yes to Leicester against Man United and looking ahead to midweek delights like Man United against Atalanta and the Foxes at Spartak Moscow. All that plus more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. Monday the 18th of October, of course. And assembled here, I'm quite frankly raring to go. We've got Daniel Storey, Adrian Clark, and Sasha Gurionov. Hello. Morning, James. Good morning. Mm. Hey, Sash. Mike Ashley, not the only man on his bike this weekend, eh? (laughs) Yeah, but um, I had to stop halfway through because I got a flat. Uh, So then I I had to get a train and uh, walk part of the way. So just oh. the 25 miles along the Grand Union Canal, which I don't really recommend for cycling because oh. it is quite bumpy. No wonder I got a flat, thankfully, not before I got to Vicarage Road. Right, yeah. No, so, listener, this was Sasha's kind of Saturday, super cycling Saturday pilgrimage to, first of all, um, Vicarage Road for Watford, Liverpool. And then, so did you not take your bike back down to Brentford, to the Brentford? No, I, 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 dragged, I dragged it on the Overland. Overland, thank you. Oh, that's bikes. disappointing. Mm. Right. But a good day? Oh, it's a beautiful day. Um, saw some, well, the first game really didn't work out to be much of a contest, but uh, a few stunning things done by Liverpool, which we'll go mm. into. Mm. And of course, um, in the evening, a Brentford Community Stadium does it again. I mean, every time I go there, Something brilliant happens in those last 20 minutes. Chelsea were so, so lucky. And, of course, right. indebted to uh, Mendy. Right. And you managed to work in a Napoleon reference as well. So we'll... <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, I think somebody got tricked. Right. OK, we'll, we'll get on to all of that very shortly. Uh, the, uh, the usual check on the scores, though, to get things underway. Round eight of the season. Liverpool kicking the weekend off, as Sasha mentioned, welcoming Claudio Ranieri back. Uh, with a nice early doors reducer, 5-0 the victory. Uh, Elsewhere, Saints got their first win, 1-0 against Leeds. Norwich, though, are still looking for theirs. They finished goalless with Brighton. Uh, Burnley uh, also still looking for a first win, although they did only lose 2-0 this time at Man City, which is something. Wolves pulled off the comeback of the weekend from 2-0 down with 10 minutes to go to 3-2 winners in their kind of derby with Villa, while Chelsea won 1-0 at Brentford, despite that late barrage from the Bees. And Leicester finally ended Man United's long, unbeaten away run and their own slump with a 4-2 win at the King Power. Sunday, West Ham won the David Moyes derby with Everton, and Newcastle Spurs was a bit mad. We'll get onto that very shortly. Arsenal Palace is Monday night, and Adrian's going along to that. But our man at St James's Park yesterday, Sunday, this Daniel Story for Newcastle against Spurs. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Daniel, there's a lot, of course, 
to discuss from this game. Let's just start with the kind of pre-game atmosphere. I loved your description of the, 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 the hazy disbelief that the cloud of Mike Ashton had lifted, like, like walking out of a dark cinema and feeling a little disorientated by the sunlight. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a very very strange atmosphere. I kind of I arrived in Newcastle expecting it to be a kind of outpouring of of joy and celebration, and to an extent that happened in the stadium. But outside the ground, it, it didn't really feel like that. It felt it felt, and this might be me projecting my own opinions onto Newcastle supporters, but it felt like there were a lot of fans who were a bit unsure of just how much they were expected to celebrate, and and. And very aware of the fact that celebrating an owner leaving looks an awful lot like celebrating uh, a soft power takeover of your club. Um, mm. There were a number of fans who were in Saudi fancy dress. To be honest, most of them looked as if they were doing it to to try and get on TV. Uh, and most of them did get on TV or various Instagram accounts by doing it. But actually, the, the other, there were a lot of supporters around them kind of tutting under their breath and, and using multiple curse words to describe that, that kind of sort of embarrassing reaction I think um, mm. I mean the chairman when the chairman was announced over the over the PA system there was a huge celebration but I, I kind of guess that's inevitable you know there was never going to be anything else for, for that because a lot of fans see cannot separate the arrival of Yasir Al uh, Ryan as 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 chairman and and the Saudis as owners with Mike Ashley leaving, but yeah, it felt odd. It really did. It was a, it was an incredibly weird afternoon, as you say, for for various reasons. Mm. Well, if it wasn't quite a stag do atmosphere before the game, though, a couple of minutes in when Callum Wilson opened the scoring, that 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 did get a bit lively. Yeah, it did, and and basically, I mean, the first ten minutes were exactly as I expected the whole game to be, which is Newcastle to be massively up for it. The, the unfortunate thing for Newcastle is that after 15 minutes, Tottenham realised that Newcastle don't really press you in possession and give you a heck of a lot of space in the final third, and therefore their players are better than Newcastle's players. And the rest of the game was was embarrassingly one-sided until until Eric Dyer's own goal. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all very... I think I, well, I wrote in my piece that until now, Newcastle are kind of only celebrating this kind of concept or this vague idea of being good again. But they aren't very good now. In fact, they're awful now. Um, I think they're probably the worst team in the Premier League on current form. And in terms of showing any sort of backbone. And Bruce is going to be sacked this week. I was surprised it didn't happen last week. But I, I understand they want to get a director of football in to play a part in that role. And that has to come first. And the takeover was was very hastily put through, which didn't allow them to do that initially. But at the moment they look doomed if they don't sort that very quickly. Right. They've slipped to 19th place. So you think they'll get the director of football in in the course of this week in time to appoint a uh, new manager before their trip to Palace next weekend? I think last week they, they didn't do it. The option was to make Graham Jones the caretaker and sack Bruce. Um, that didn't happen last week. If they're not able to get a director of football in this week, I think they might have to do that, right. even if they didn't want to last week, because... The performance was so abject and the, the chance in the second half about wanting Bruce out was so... It was both sets of fans. It was Spurs fans starting it as a kind of crowing and then Newcastle fans responding by going, yeah, yeah, you're only singing what we're thinking as well, so we'll join in. And that can't continue for another week um, because if they're not careful, the mood sours at the time when they need it to stay as buoyant as possible. Mm. Let's talk about Spurs then because this was quite the return to form albeit against a fairly abject from the side of it, 
at Newcastle. And Harry Kane getting not only his first Premier League goal, but also an assist for the, the Sun goal, which came after that 25-minute suspension. We, we can touch on, on that as well, because that, I'm sure, played a part in, in the way the mood changed at St. James's Park. But what about Spurs' performance? Yeah, I thought it was an excellent Spurs performance. Daniel touched on it. Newcastle make it incredibly easy for good footballing teams to, to play. They, they, they've got no pace at the back, so they drop off, which creates an enormous amount of space for Son, for Mora, for Kane, to wreak havoc alongside Ndombele, of course. And and, and, and Spurs just made, made hay. It was ridiculously easy. I thought... I thought the goal that Kane scored kind of summed up how bad Newcastle are at the back. Not one member of the back four was communicating. Not one member of the back four looked to see where Spurs' main goal threat was. And he just snuck up behind them with that arced run. And it was it was a great goal. Lovely pass from Heuberg and, and, and a beautiful lifted finish from, from Kane. So no, I think lots to like about, about the Spurs' performance. I'm still very sceptical about the the Dyer Romero axis at the back. I think that, that that needs to improve a lot moving forwards. But but yeah, this was this was comfy for Spurs. And I think if they'd have pushed it, they could have won more handsomely. Mm. Most surprising stat of the weekend is that Spurs are actually fifth in the table. Only goal difference off the Champions League places. Hang on, weren't they in total crisis last time I, I looked? Well, maybe sometimes it's... Uh... It helps uh, playing nice opposition like this and maybe playing themselves into form. Maybe Kane playing himself into maybe his more natural position because I think in this game here, he didn't really have to drop because you know, Ndombele did all the job around that. They didn't really need Kane deeper, I think, so he could st- he could stay higher up. Um, and I, I, th- I think overall, if you look at it, I, th- I think particularly after the stoppage uh, for the fan, um, I'm sure we'll get onto that, that last spell of the set of the first half that they finished playing, I thought like at that stage, like, Newcastle players were completely absent uh, so that Spurs could get the third goal where they really nicely just played through them without really much pressure at all. Um, and then second half was just a procession. And I think for for Spurs, given the situation, like, you know, three wins, three defeats, this was pro- probably the perfect opposition. And also from, from Newcastle's point of view, um, yeah, I mean, takeovers and stuff, they still need to get to, to January. Um, looking at this and potentially a lot of the squad quite demotivated um again if you leave the things one or two weeks further i think questions will be asked do the owners know what they're doing um and you know i have to question this because yes this this takeover was hasty uh well it came through sort of quite quickly but it's not like they didn't really have time to prepare for it once it eventually does come through so i think overall newcastle i think are currently in a very um curious position and you know what if things start going wrong there isn't going to be much sympathy for them around the country crikey well, uh, the suspension that we, we mentioned came after a uh, supporter was taken ill and a couple of Spurs players realised this quickly. How did that happen, actually, Daniel? Yeah, so Spurs Spurs won a corner on the right and initially there was all sort of waving from fans, which, which my initial instinct reaction was that they were moaning about the ball not being in the quadrant because it was that kind of waving of arms thing. But then you realised that it was happening on the opposite side of the pitch to the corner and so something completely different was happening. And... Yeah, Sergio Reguilón spotted it. Eric Dyer spotted it. Dyer sprinted over to the bench to try and get some medical attention. I think there was a little bit of confusion about that. I think they were asking for medical help, and actually, what they what they needed was a defibrillator straight away. And thankfully, that happened quickly enough. But we should say, not only did the players react brilliantly, but there was there was two guys. Well, there was a lady in in the stand where 
the incident happened who started CPR immediately. And then there's a guy in the Gallagher end who who ran sort of a quarter of the way around the ground across the pitch, who is a, we now learn this morning, is a is an A&E registered doctor at, in Newcastle, who then administered, also administered some CPR. And, you know, they, they literally saved the guy's life by the sound of it, because within 20 minutes, we were being told by Newcastle's press officer that, that they were stabilised, leaving the ground, were going to hospital. And then last night, we got another update to say that they were kind of awake and recovering, which is, if I'm honest is not how it felt at the time. It felt that we were, were in a really grave situation because just the length of the stoppage and the reaction of the players as they came over to the to the dugouts was, yeah, it was really grim. Mm. Well, it, it, excellent work then by uh, by everyone involved and, and in some ways how fortunate that it happened at a football match where defibrillators yeah. are... Yeah, we, I should say there's, a, there's, a, there's an organisation called North East Defibs who um, I think only last year had six defibrillators installed in St James's um, I mean there's no excuse for that not to be the case at, at every football ground in the country and right down to grassroots level given the funding but yeah you're absolutely right there's almost no safer place for something like that to happen than a Premier League football match which is bizarre but but in this incident kind of all's well that ends well hopefully mm, Indeed so Alright well uh, that game ended particularly well for Spurs although as you mentioned there was that mad Eric Dyer own goal to make the scoreline a slightly more respectable 3-2 for the home side. Newcastle by that point were down to 10 men after John Shelby's kind of rumbustious cameo. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think whatever happens at Newcastle and Sasha I think he's right to be a little bit more circumspect this morning but I think in the next five years there will be better options as game-changing substitutes than John Joe Shelby at St James's Park um, I mean the two identical challenges in different areas of the pitch and I mean the the whole ground watches that second booking sees it coming five seconds away and thinks you know you've already been booked you're not going to do this are you yeah you are going to oh you have done it and you have been sent off yes yeah He's been doing this in his entire career. It's, it's utterly bizarre. Just the behaviour hasn't changed since his time at like Swansea and Liverpool. And he just, yeah, over and over, John Joe Shelby. Footballers are supposed to mature, aren't they? Um, but, but John Joe Shelby seems to regress in that particular category. I, I'd say that, that Shelby was, was one of the most ill-disciplined players of his, of his generation. <laughs> it's just, he'll always let you down, won't he? And, and he'll, look... He'll be one of 15 to 20 players, I think, to leave over the course of the next 18 months. They have, they have to... The, without Sam Maximan and Callum Wilson, Newcastle are playoff contenders in the Championship. That's what they are. That's their level. Wow. Well, the future could be bright or not. We shall see. For Newcastle, plenty to sort out then for them. On Sunday, the other game, a little bit earlier, saw West Ham go to Goodison Park and win 1-0 at Everton. Cracking result for the Hammers, given Everton have won all their home matches prior to this. My man Solomon Rondon is uh, kind of letting me down, um, not really leading the line particularly well in Dominic Calvert-Lewin's absence. I uh, had a couple of presented, presentable headed chances which he didn't take, but... Yeah, I think, um, but I think overall, um, only one team really played football, and that team was uh, David Moyes' West Ham United, um, and who looked just looked like a more of a football team. Uh, but I think, I think Everton, yeah, I think you have to appreciate the fact they were missing not only Calvert Lewin but also the Charleston, and I think that really blunted the way like they looked going forward. Uh, but also didn't um, 
didn't help the way they conceded the goal. I think that was, that was quite wobbly defending from from Pickford, possibly on both occasions. Um, but I think I think overall, um, this is exactly the sort of game um, and sort of result which I will then observe over the next few days to gauge the atmosphere and the fans' feelings towards Rafael Benitez. Hmm. Really interested in what Sasha said there about only one team played football because one thing I've got in fr- on my notes in front of me is Everton need to start playing football. It's, it's, it, it's, that's, that is the, the obvious thing. It's great to have a philosophy. It's, the, the, the clearly, Rafa wants to create an identity where they're a, a really dangerous counter-attacking side and, and, and they are. They, they really are. And we've seen that particularly away from home this season in the absence of some really, really good players. But when Dominic Cavalier is fit again, they need to play inside the opposition half and put balls into the box for him. And, and to do that, they need to string some passes together. And Everton are not passing the ball. They're not mixing their game up at all. Um, if you look at sequences of passes, 10 or more. Okay, so 10 or more passes is, is a relatively long sequence, but nothing amazing. They've made 27 this season, which is the second lowest in the Premier League in front of Burnley. Mm. Everton have made 27. Just to put this into context, Brighton have made 123. So that that is that is quite the stark difference in terms of style. I just think they're a little bit better than just being a counter-attacking team. They've got some good footballers. They need to make, maybe control matches uh, with more confidence in the way that West Ham did here. It was it was really accomplished from them. Quick word for for Declan Rice, who seems to be having one of those starts of the season where. Every opposition fan who's just watched him then immediately takes to social media and says, yeah, I don't think I'd realise quite how good Declan Rice was. Um, Which, you know, coming off a long summer at the Euros with a lot of responsibility in a position in West Ham's team when there's a lot of responsibility and clearly replacing Mark Noble, he's just going up and up and up. And, you know, that he will inevitably be linked to to bigger clubs. Um, But, you know... It would have been very easy for, for his form to slip off at the start of this season, I think, for reasons of energy and, and transfer rumours. But he just looks absolutely brilliant. And he was he was the game's best player again, I think. Mm. West Ham on their way to becoming a pretty big club there under David Moyes. Uh, that's what happened on Sunday. Next up, let's get on to the big headlines from Saturday. So, Mr Klopp, what's been troubling you? Well, it's a very important time of the year. And I'm worried we're not going to be able to get the most out of it. Yeah, there's a lot of big games coming up. Games? No, I'm talking about Oktoberfest. Sauerkraut, Steins, Lederhosen. The one time Germany comes to England, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it can seem like they don't know what they're doing. But with Paddy Power, you always know you're getting Das Beste rewards. Like money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pretty much bet builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Min 4 plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds on an exclusive T's and C's apply. 18 plus becomeaware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Saturday saw the big sides, you know, your Manchester Cities, your Liverpools, etc., all winning with one exception. Them again. Tom Williams here with one of the tweets of the weekend. Solskjaer needs to concentrate on his football. Very nice. <laughs> uh, we'll get on to Man United's trip to the King Power very shortly. Firstly, though, Sasha, part one of your bike trip that wasn't, saw you take in Watford's clash with Liverpool and that goal. Salah with a chance. Wonderful feat. Brilliant play. Here he goes, Salah. Oh, what a play! 
Woof. Mo Salah there with his latest goal of the season contender in Liverpool's 5-0 winner, Vicarage Road. Having already, Sasha, contributed an, an assist of the season contender for Sadio Mane's opener, no? Uh, yeah, I mean, Salah in this form. I think when I came on the pod three weeks ago, I was like, yeah, Salah, Salah is great. And since then, he's just kept on doing phenomenal things. Um, so I think he's scored now in eight games in a row and he didn't hasn't just scored. As you mentioned, he assisted obviously beautifully against Manchester City as well. But here um, in the opening minutes against, you know, Watford are the type of club. They always seem to get the new manager bounce. Maybe that's how they keep just keep themselves going and recharging. And here, I think that, that just finished them uh, because th- there is a few things about that goal, um, not just the Salah pass, but also the way that Joel Matip stepped out to win the header, to really like establish himself. The Liverpool defence played in the front foot, there was effectively five players attacking at any one time. And there was a spell after the first goal uh, when, you know, not much seemed to happen, but Liverpool just completely wore out Watford and then just effectively finished them off. And I think this was interesting because on the one hand, you have classy players, then they're hardworking, then they're also missing some players, but everything came together. Maybe Klopp also instilled a bit of that siege mentality beforehand. He was complaining about quite a few things uh, before the game on the Friday and before the game in, in the morning as well. But they came out and they they played like a team with a point to prove. Perhaps the 3-0 from 2020 was still at the back of their minds. Hmm. Uh, and that was very, very painful. But here's the thing. Liverpool improved since then, whereas Watford lost the Corey, Capu, Hughes, Dini. That spine is gone. So they looked like a team that wasn't Ganali, they didn't have much experience, they didn't have anyone to effectively to knock a few heads together when things aren't going right. But they also looked like a team who were effectively undercoached. Because I think it was it was weird to see Ranieri go with five or like with four and a half at the back because that's not his usual system. There was a lot of gaps that Liverpool exo- exploited ruthlessly. Poor old Danny Rose up against Salah and Trent Alexander Arnold all my days. So I think it's the Salah goal. When he did that shimmy to get past three players, I didn't really understand what happened. But what sticks in my mind, because I was sitting in the line of the shot up in the main stand in Elton Elton John's stand. And for a moment, all I could see was effectively everybody going the wrong way. And Salah just having this tunnel in front of him to put the ball into. And this is the image I have. I have cut cuts on the floor. And you could see the players... The Watford players' weight were just basically the wrong way and they just left the goal open for him and he put it away and it's just phenomenal. I mean, Adrian, obviously you play professional football. You are so much better than like 99.99% of the population and then there is a guy that's so much better than everyone else <laughs> yeah. and it's just, it just must be extraordinary. Like someone like Cathcart, Cathcart's what, 33? Excellent professional, plays Premier League football. And then Salah just makes him makes him look quite silly. It was it was extraordinary. Yeah, the, the way that, that, that sort of double... Drag back with with the ball underneath his studs. It, it just created this enormous collective flinch, didn't it? Where everyone went oh like that, and and then he was just away. It was it was just it was remarkable, magical to watch. And yeah, I mean he's just operating Mo Salah at the moment in this kind of special, untouchable Messi esque zone, isn't he? He's just in that zone, and um, yeah, it, it's 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 wonderful to watch. The two goals that he scored, just the one against City as well, just just sensational. So this season, things have kicked up a notch again from Mo yeah. Salah. Is that fair? Why would that be, do you think? I think that the 
Liverpool are being more assertive full stop. Remember, they didn't have any centre-backs last year, so they, they didn't defend on the front foot in the way that they like to. Um, so they're winning the ball earlier and therefore releasing their best attackers much sooner. And if you can release your attackers sooner, it gives them a bit, buys them a bit more space. Um, Van Dijk going from back to front early before opposition defenders are set has changed things whereas before teams could just get everyone behind the ball block off those spaces um yeah they're just doing everything quicker um mm. but he he personally is just yeah he's in the zone it, it's a hard hard to quantify how you get there but but he's there and it's just joyous for us all to watch all right, a quote here from Daniel Story in his excellent The Score roundup in the I newspaper. No player in the Premier League is able to go from serenity to causing maximum danger more quickly. He excels most at finding pockets of unguarded space, staying quiet like a child, desperately hoping the adults at the party won't notice them and pack them off to bed. And then Daniel, boom. Yeah, I mean, my, my big takeaway from the weekend is that he is now a brilliant goal against Man United or Brighton away from doing a Dennis Bergkamp and being top three in goal of the month. Um, Bergkamp famously did that uh, with his Leicester. Was it his Leicester hat trick? I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, he. Uh, they are remarkably similar. But then that's the point with Mo Salah. It's not that you don't know what he's going to do. It's that you do know what he's going to do, and you can't do anything to stop it, which is ridiculous. Right. And as you say, Man United coming up next weekend. What's the situation, by the way, uh, regarding Mo Salah's contract? Well, Sasha will know, but he, it's it's ticking down and. Everyone at Liverpool is most pleased by this form, not just because it's taking Liverpool to another title challenge, but because it, it's it's hopefully making that decision a no-brainer that he wants a level of pay which will make him the best player at Liverpool, but he's also arguably the best player at Liverpool. Um, so, yeah, there is th- there's no agreement yet. And let's face it, there will be no shortage of clubs to, to come in for him. But my suspicion is that it will get done at some point. But Sasha may disagree. Mm. Well, they, uh, I think there, is, there was reports of his agent flying in. I mean, all various sizes of contracts and stuff. But I think this is a situation where Liverpool have to break whatever wage structure that is, there is and, and keep him. Because, um, yeah, I mean, the guys... Klopp after the game said the best player not just you know in the league or, or the club is the best player in the world and certainly it looks like it at the moment um, and I think also you know when he comes out against you as a defender you uh, you know what you're up against and I think that sort of plays on people's confidence but also I would I would add one thing um, I expected I know like previous 18 months were completely messed up but I expected this Liverpool front line to peak last season uh, the way they're going up and then you know, now they're getting to 29-30 but I saw a stat from and sort of from, from Andrew Beasley on, on Twitter so in the first 11 games all competitions over the last few seasons the front three uh, Mane, Firmino, Salah scored 13-10 13-12 and this season it's 22 um, and they are playing together like the way they're Effectively playing together at the moment is brilliant, but you have to remember that Firmino has has been injured. He's been out of mm. the side, and now he came in. He did two jobs as well. Okay, maybe Watford didn't make it too difficult for him, but he did sit at sort of the tip of the midfield diamond, but he was also there to poach very much uh, a hat-trick, very much in the style of Dirk Coit. I mean, I think the, the total yardage must have been around 10, um, <laughs> but he was there to tap them in, and so he, I think it's his second hat-trick for Liverpool, and given that Jota is, is to come back as well, it certainly looks like that front line is very, very healthy. Sadio Mane as well, uh, Firmino with the hat-trick, but Sadio Mane with his 100th goal in the Premier League, the third African player to reach that tally after Mo Salah and uh, Didier Drogba. He's also the third Premier League player to reach 100 goals without any of them 
Bing penalties. Do you know who the other two were, Adrian? Oh, no. You've put me on the spot there. Sasha no. does, I think. Go on, Sash. Uh, Solez uh, and Emil Heskey. Indeed. All right. Ben Foster in trouble with Watford fans after it had emerged that he'd actually captained Mo Salah in his fantasy team before this match. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I mean, that's obviously very funny, but that is going to become an issue at some point, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. It uh, doesn't look a Leeds, great we look. Saw, um... and, and then you watch the game and you see the Salah goal and you think, yeah. yeah. Hey, do you know what, though? He put, didn't he put off a couple of good saves? That, that oh, no, he did. Heading towards yeah. the top corner, he, he, you know, he, denying he had himself decent games. Yeah, he had a perfectly decent game. So. Ben Foster is a decent fantasy manager as well, and it, it was the right thing. Yeah. To do, but 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 anyway. Well, um, well look, maybe yeah. <laughs> I don't, maybe it was a slight on what he'd seen of the new gaffer in on the training pitch because, <laughs> I mean that that defensive performance was as bad as I've seen from from Watford for for many years. It screamed to me, we don't know what the manager is asking us to do. That's what that performance looked to me. So, we've got a lot of work to do. Early doors, of course, only one game, but they did flirt enticingly with setting a new record for lowest ever possession in a Premier League game. Current all-time low for that is 17.1% by Swansea against Man City in 2018. Watford in the first half were only around 16%, but a uh, second half recovery took it up to a whopping 23.2%. So anyway, there you go. Swansea's record remains intact. Sasha, meantime, you had got on the train down to Brentford for Chelsea's 1-0 win over the Bees. A Napoleonic... And valiantly, so a performance from Brentford's finest under Thomas Frank. Yeah, um, I, I run out of compliments week after week uh, whenever I um, watch Brentford play. And this was Are a very you cur- turned. <laughs> no, no, I'm not getting turned, but I, I'm full a of admiration. Bit. You have to, you have to admire people's people's craft um, when they do Sasha, your job really well. Is the ideal when Klopp leaves, Thomas Frank takes over? That's your, that's what no, you're pushing for here. So isn't to- it? Thomas Frank is part of the system. Um, so and I think they're all part of a system there. It's like, you know, when you had that Eintracht Frankfurt front line, they go elsewhere, they're no longer part of the system, it doesn't look as good. I think, I think a lot of here, a lot of these players are looking as impressively as they are um, because of the system. And I thought that here, it, it was very curious because I think uh, Frank drew some conclusions uh, from the Liverpool game, uh, which they drew 3-3. But could have lost six three. There was a lot of chances conceded, and I think what they did for the first let's say sixty five minutes. Okay, it was three five two against three five two. They paid a lot of attention to the Chelsea midfield, particularly Nurgor on uh, plays like Kovacic and Loftus Cheek. So I think there was a lot there, even though probably they wouldn't admit it after the game. But about containment of 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 Chelsea and particularly of Chelsea midfield. And Chelsea did very well here. And also Chelsea, I, th- I thought Tuchel um, did a great thing with Chilwell because there was a few times in the first half I was looking up thinking, oh yeah, Chilwell's at left, uh, sort of on, on, on the left wing here. Yeah, that's fine. And suddenly, where is Chilwell? Why is he on the edge of the box? Hang on, he's winning knockdowns next to Lukaku for Werner to put a chance over. And I was sitting there going, oh my God, he's drifting into that space. And then that's exactly where he scored from. Mm. Um, and then what happens, and then Frank waits. He waits, he waits, he waits. And then... As Napoleon famously said, never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. Because I think Tuchel made a mistake. Eventually, I think he'd got to about 65 and he thought, right, let's finish these guys off. So he takes off Kovacic, he puts on mount, goes to a 3-4-3. Frank switches immediately and the game goes direct. Mm. 
And this is what happened against Liverpool as well. I think Liverpool played into this as well. They went, um, we don't need extra midfielders, and they went direct. So I think Tuchel messed up his own plan, played into Frank's hands, and you could see last 20 minutes, Chelsea were absolutely battered. I mean, I like this is European champions. This is a Champions League contender, title contender. They couldn't get out. The XG second half was like 0.02. Mount was ineffectual. Havertz came on, was ineffectual. It was like, I was asking Tuchel after the game. So, you know, last 20, oh, you make subs. They're not working. What's happening? He was like, yeah, it's just chaos. And then sometimes momentum of the game shifts and you can't really, like, it's nothing wrong that subs are doing. You just can't shift it back. He was going nuts on the bench as well. And like, you could see that. But effectively, Frank had him right there and there was nothing he could do to affect the game. And also, like, it got absurd because last, like, 10 minutes, they were just basically chucking in high balls into the box because I think they realized we're much bigger than these guys and mm. they were winning all the headers. Mendy couldn't come off his line. And it was basically Mendy, like, last, like, this desperate saves. He did absolutely superbly. He is currently making me eat my words, uh, the words that I said on the spot in May around him perhaps not being good enough. And he was absolutely brilliant. So I think, like, my notes last 20 minutes is basically Mendy, 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 <laughs> Chalabo off the line, Mendy, 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 Mendy. And the last fingertip save from Neoga was absolutely excellent. What a performance from him. But as Tuchel said after the game, 70 minutes, very strong. Last 20, lucky. Yeah, they got away with it. Uh, part of the reason for that, of course, is Brian and Bemo hitting the post again twice. Officially the unluckiest man in football, depending on whether you rate hitting the post as being bad at your job or, or just unfortunate. He's hit the woodwork anyway six times this season. That's more than any of the other 19 Premier League clubs have. Crikey. Yeah, I mean, Brentford were, were phenomenal in that last 20 minutes without... As Sasha refers to, they didn't really create chances as just sort of toss a coin in the air and 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 work out that that was going to be good enough for chances to kind of happen to them rather than to be created. But it was such good fun to watch. And I know Sasha said it to start with, but they are the best team to watch in the Premier League now. They've taken that mantle off Leeds from last season and every game is, is brilliant. Mm, magnificent. Chelsea, anyway, hanging on to the win and top spot thus in the Premier League after eight rounds. They're one point ahead of Liverpool, who are one point ahead of Man City, who had the 2-0 win over Burnley. It wasn't 5-0 this time. Still, though, probably the most routine outcome of, of the weekend. They've, they've had a victory in each of their last nine games against the Clarets, with an aggregate scoreline now of 32 goals for and just the one against. Anything you want to take out of this game before we get on to the other Manchester side? Raheem Sterling, perhaps, with his third Premier League start of the season? Or maybe somebody wants to talk about Burnley and then say they'll be fine. <laughs> I was just going to talk about Cole Palmer, who yeah. came off the bench for Manchester City uh, and then scored a hat-trick for the under-23s later the same day, which is, I think, Mark Hughes famously did that by playing two games in the same day. But, um, yeah, he, he's he's 19 years old and he's an attacking midfielder at Manchester City. And it, it, you, you sort of worry for him in the fact that Phil Foden's already taking that academy graduate attacking midfielder slot so he might have to go on loan but he's already broken into the England under 21s and he does look a heck of a talent it must be said I I think he Guardiola clearly didn't want phone to go out on loan but I think he he might well compromise on on Palmer and you know kind of high-end championship loan in January would probably make some sense or the Bundesliga yes the Bundesliga please on that I just I just love his attitude because Young players could easily be forgiven for, for getting ahead of themselves, couldn't they? I'm part of the first team squad here. I'm on the bench. I'm not just on the bench. He's brought me on. This is where I am now. And, and, and you know, the under-23s, oh, 
glad I don't have to play against Leicester tonight. You know, I can just put my feet up and bask in the glow of getting a Premier League appearance. And that didn't come into his thinking at all. It was like, look, I only played for a minute. Can I go and join my mates and, and do the business for the under-23s? I, I love that attitude, the hunger, and it really, really bodes well. And look, if I'm Pep Guardiola, a member of the coaching staff there, He's gone up in my estimations by by making that that choice. Not because he scored a hat trick, just because he wanted to to get involved. He wanted to muck in with the under twenty threes. Great stuff. Brilliant. Uh, what about Raheem Sterling? Should he go on a short term loan to the Championship or the Bundesliga? <laughs> Let's talk about a Barcelona loan uh, in the in the newspaper this morning. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he. I I, I think it's a, a, a situation that. Manchester City have kind of engineered themselves in that he's he's a player who who has always needed confidence and City have effectively bought a hundred million pound player in in his best position. Uh, he's playing through the middle, which has never been his his best role, unless City are, are able to do that thing where they get to the byline and he's six yards out. But they aren't really playing like that with um, because Bernardo Silva's dominating the game from from the kind of right-hand side of the midfield three and De Bruyne from the right-hand side as well. So, yeah, I feel for him a bit, but yeah, he's not in any form. And I don't know, I, I feel like City need a number nine for him to come back into form because otherwise he's just going to have to play that central role while Ferran Torres is injured. With Raheem at the moment, yeah, he's desperately lacking rhythm and confidence. And yeah, I think that the Grealish shining will have knocked his confidence because it's like they have deliberately targeted a player they didn't really need. And he plays in my position. I've been there. When the manager goes and signs someone in your position, it crushes you. You can't let it crush you for long. You have to get over it and fight. But that sinking feeling when you know that the the club have invested big money in someone that plays your role, yeah, it sows that seed of doubt. And if you have a doubt that the manager doesn't love you in the same way that he used to, it can impact. Can imagine. Mm. Well, uh, shaking Burnley's confidence is the fact that they have failed to win any of their opening eight league games this season. Of course, last season, they failed to win any of their opening seven league games and they were all right. And probably they will be this time too. Next up, they'll be having a trip to Southampton. OK, let's get on next to the drama at the King Power where a lacklustre Leicester were facing a Man United side that were unstoppable on the road. And that's next. I'm David Ornstein, and you can read my in-depth interview with the former Arsenal, Chelsea, and now very much current AC Milan striker Olivier Giroud on The Athletic right now. Giroud tells me about his battle to prove people wrong literally since birth, nine years in the Premier League and his relationships with Arsene Wenger, Frank Lampard and Thomas Tuchel, the highs and lows of France, yes, that Karim Benzema rivalry, and plenty more besides. And if you fancy seeing the interview, and come on, why wouldn't you want to watch a 15-minute video of Olivier Giroud shot in the fashion capital of Italy? You can find it on the Athletic UK YouTube channel. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. 
That way, you won't feel like a massive mug, you know, like the one that was floating down the Tyne whenever Squillionaire's Newcastle concede that inevitable last-minute equaliser. Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please, gamble responsibly. In from Tielemans. Across to the back where Dakar has scrambled in. And as the game goes into injury time, Leicester have won it for sure. Leicester 4, Man United 2. Uh, before anyone starts grumbling about Oli and United and all that, let's first of all say 40 shots in this game and some absolutely incredible goals. And two goals in which I will watch again and again and not be able to work out whether they were deliberate or not. In, in first, Yuri Tielemans. Deliberate. Crush. Deliberate. Fine. Happy. I want you to be right, Adrian, so I'm happy for you to be right. And then Jamie Vardy's shanked. I mean, it wasn't even a what? shin. It was sort of just below the knee, I think, that he kind of connected was the it? ball on that one. Yeah, it's it was really high. It in. <laughs> but it goes top corner. So, <laughs> yes, I'm still happy to enjoy it. Right. Mason Greenwood with a pretty special goal had open yeah. proceedings. And then Tielemans with that audacious equaliser. Then in the second half, there was this mad five-minute stretch. Soyuncu puts Leicester in front. The returning Marcus Rashford, taking time out from his other commitments, made it 2-2. Just 54 seconds later, though, Jamie Vardy whips uh, that one in off whichever part of his leg it was. And the Foxes are back in front. And then Patson Daka adds a fourth in time added on. Pats and Dakar stats fans will have noticed becoming the first Zambian to score in the Premier League. And this coming on the same day that the Premier League had seen its first Albanian goal, Armando Broya. Broya from Slough. From Slough. Um, But uh, playing for Albania. And uh, that was, of course, in Saints win over Leeds. Right. uh, Leicester look alive again. What's what's happening there? Very impressive. I I think that that when Leicester press with intensity, when they're bold and they get in the faces of opposition teams, they are a real handful to contain. I thought that the team selection actually from Brendan Rodgers kind of sent out a signal of intent because he shook it up. Lookman had been playing pretty well before the international break. Barnes was, was decent at Selhurst Park, setting up a goal, but he dropped them and he brought in out of four Madison. But I think what, what what he wanted to do was, was was go with the two up front and the one in behind. And he had a plan. He went in with the plan that they clearly worked on. And he pumped the players up, I think, for the game. And it was great. I thought Madison was scampering around everywhere, particularly in the first half. He was great. Um, yeah, I mean, Ian Acho, the way that he robbed Maguire, right. set the tone, didn't it? That was that was wonderful from, from him. And, and they just carried it on. I, I think when you're front guys set the tone by basically making life as uncomfortable as possible for, for defenders. It, it, it just uplifts everybody in the stadium. And uh, yeah, it, it, they're very good to watch when they play that way. Mm. Albeit, they were helped by an utterly dreadful Manchester United performance without the ball. It was as bad as it gets in terms of laziness and, and, and the, the way that they were disorganised out of possession. Nobody seemed to know what they were supposed to be doing. And that is, I'm afraid, a, a direct reflection on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's coaching. Right. Um, you know, there are only so many get-out-of-jail-free cards you can get. He's got to prove, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that he's more than just a caretaker of a happy dressing room. Yeah, he's a good guy. He can look after these big egos. And that is a big part of management. But you also need a plan. You need an identity. You need to be able to make a tactical decision that changes things for the better. And 
when was the last time any of that happened? Mm. United have only taken one point from the last nine available in the Premier League. If that 29-game unbeaten run was kind of the last fig leaf for Solskjaer, what exactly are we looking at now? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the reaction of, of people who, who still want to defend him, and that, that's, that's partly for emotional reasons, and therefore you can't really criticise that, but there's now going to become this notion that the players have downed tools and therefore it's on the players. Adrian will know better than me, but to my mind, that that's basically a myth. It, it, it might happen occasionally. It might happen with a, one or two individuals at a club, but it doesn't happen en masse. What might happen is that players subconsciously otherwise feel a bit demotivated that they have excellent players around them and yet there doesn't seem to be a plan to get the best out of them. And and that's the same in any industry in the world. If you're in a company where you don't think things are being kind of connected together for everyone to move in the right direction, it, it, it makes you feel low and it makes you less likely to perform at the highest level. And I think that's what's happening at Manchester United. And um, I'm actually vaguely reassured by it in the fact that it's nice that you can have all these brilliant individual players but can still not be very good at getting results unless unless there is an identity, unless there is a really capable coach because that kind of warms me a little bit because that means that managers do make, still make a difference, that it's not just who has the best players wins. Um, the reports say that Manchester United are still happy with Solskjaer and that they're going to give him more time but... That, to me, seems nothing but a fool's errand, if I'm honest. I think it's just a, a clawing at some kind of romantic notion that doesn't really exist in reality. Mm. Sasha, bearing in mind that we have this chat pretty much <laughs> every week. Every week. Yeah. Harry Maguire didn't look like he should have been playing. Um, he got caught on the ball badly twice. So that's error for one, directly led to one of the goals. And then he doesn't step up once Ayuncio scores. And he's totally asleep um, when Dak is behind him to um, to bundle in uh, the fourth. And not just because he isn't aware he's not. He doesn't go for the ball. He can go for the ball. Uh, mm. So it looked to me like Maguire shouldn't have been playing. And also, um, talking of fig leaves, they haven't played any of the big six so far. Oof. Next six, mm. five of them are against the big six. I mean, what, whatever you might say about Arsenal and Spurs, those guys are going to give, they give them difficult games. So I think in the next you know couple of months, we could really find out what this United team are made of. Well, in the next couple of weeks, you've got uh, Liverpool coming up this weekend, you've got Spurs, and then you've got Man City. And sandwiched in, in between all of those, you've also got Atalanta uh, twice in the Champions League. Atalanta, who this weekend had their probably their best result of the season so far, a 4-1 win away at Empoli with Josip Ilicic looking like he wants to play football again, getting a brace, second one, cutting in. Got one two with the teammate and then curling one into the, the far corner. How much of a challenge are Atalanta going to provide at Old Trafford on Wednesday? Well, after Sunday night's Gulazzo Live, James Horncastle gave us his thoughts on the challenge for United. As much as people say, well, if Atalanta conceded fewer goals, they might actually win something, this style has got them into the Champions League three years in a row. It has made them the best Italian team in this competition in that time. They've gone further than anybody else. Remember the quarterfinals in Portugal against PSG when they were 1-0 up and they went down to 10 men because they'd used all their subs. I think Freuler got injured and then Marquinhos and Chupamoting put them out in stoppage time. This style, they'll stick with it at Old Trafford. And I think as much as it may play into United's hands, when it really works, there's nothing you can really do to stop it because they will be up and at United in a pressing style. 
that will play at Champions League tempo, which is not what a lot of other Serie A teams do, I would say. And as I mentioned, they've lost Papu Gomez, who obviously had his differences with uh, Gasparini this time last year, ended up being sold in January. They don't have the same maybe sense of invention, creativity as they did at that time, but they still can score lots of goals, particularly when Ilicic is back to his best. He's lost the belly that he came back from pre-season with. Muriel's had his uh, injuries and ups and downs. I think having those two guys back and Zapata, for example, who didn't play or didn't start in Empoli, having those guys all fit and firing is pretty worrying, even though, and United should take heart from this, Atlanta are decimated by injuries in other positions. Their mm-hmm. flying wing-backs are injured. Gosens, Hans Hattibor, one of their best centre-backs, Jim City, he's injured. Toloi went off in the first half against Empoli. Mattia Piscina, one of the members of that Italy-European Championship winnings team, scored against Wales, scored against um, Austria in the, in, the, in, the, in the knockout stages. Those guys either face a last-minute fitness test or will definitely be out. So... It's a very interesting mix. You have, on the one hand, Atalanta scoring four goals again. I haven't seen them do that for a while. Ilicic scoring twice. He hasn't scored a multiple since before the pandemic when he was probably the MVP in Serie A. And Muriel, who, remember, if you look at XG, goals per minute, I think only Lewandowski was matching him or beating him last year. So um, they'll be a real threat to United. Well, for a team that lost to young boys and then only narrowly squeaked past Villarreal, sounds like it could be a tough night in prospect. I think one of the things with United, you were saying that they, they seem to be happy with Solskjaer, is that while the money's rolling in, it's not an issue. Uh, however, were their Champions League campaign to be curtailed for the second season in a row, that might, might push people towards decisions. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, to put what Sasha was saying about the weakness of the opposition they face into context, I think those those four supposed title challengers, United City, Liverpool and Chelsea, have played 22 games against non-Big 16s this season. And, and in total, they've only dropped 14 points, which kind of reflects the inequalities of the Premier League. But Man United account for 10 of those 14 points. So we've seen Solskjaer perform better against big clubs, but they did also lose 4-2 at home to Liverpool at the end of last season. So I mm. think... That's a bit of a stretch, but yeah, I think you're right. The Champions League is is the one because um, fallout from the group stage again there, and yeah, they're in a they're in a situation where they are becoming mediocre, and that will not be allowed to stand. I don't think. All right, currently second in the group behind Atalanta, but we'll see what Wednesday does to that. Well done anyway for Leicester picking up only their second win in their last eight in all competitions, and next up. Let's talk about some other stuff, including Saturday's remarkable game at Villa Park. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Sasha, are you a fan of angry goalkeepers? Ah. Uh, Whatever works for you, I think, basically. I mean, okay. Liverpool currently don't have an angry goalkeeper and he is perfectly competent. I see. <laughs> Did you catch Aaron McCary's performance in the Irish Premiership? Uh, this in the game between Glintoran and Coleraine. Uh, Glintoran were 2-1 up with 10 minutes to go, but then Coleraine equalised, at which point Glenn's keeper Aaron McCary runs over to his teammate Bobby Burns and knocks him to the ground angrily before dragging him up by the shirt for seconds, at which point teammates intervene, as does the referee, and sends off the keeper. He was, uh, I think, furious with uh, Burns because he'd given the ball away on, on the halfway line, leading to Coleraine's equaliser, but still pretty extraordinary stuff, Adrian. Very extraordinary, yeah. I've never experienced it, I've got to say, in terms of in a match, one of my teammates striking at a, a, a colleague. But but I've got a lot of experience of, of angry keepers. They just <laughs> they just always come for you. I've got to say that, yep. that my suspicion throughout my career, and nothing has really changed on this, my suspicion is that the vast majority of angry goalkeepers do it for show. They do it for show. That right. is that is part of part of it. Just to I, I just think they feel like they need to be seen to be, you know, rattling some cages. And I just don't like I don't like individuals being sort of put up there in the spotlight. That was all down to you. Because it's happened to me before where a keeper's sort of come so hang to on. me. So and, you think the keepers are right to shift the blame onto everybody else? No, I did, I just don't think they should be putting all the blame it's not down to them to decide yeah. who was culpable right right for a concession particularly because it you look at each goal there could be two or three mistakes four well, or five sure. mistakes yet if a keeper goes and you know picks on that one guy everyone just assumes it's it's on them and i think that's wrong but, i think a but, lot of people just look at it and think well the keeper's basically feeling a bit awkward i i'm a big <laughs> fan of calm keepers myself i used to love Gigi buffon for this reason but of late later career Gigi buffon started getting very angry indeed but great <laughs> shout from sasha about uh, allison but he has possibly nothing to complain about <clears throat> given what he put he, who he plays behind but i think also with keepers things part of it is also defense mechanism because i think mm. as a goalkeeper you often feel like they're all pointing at you mm. as in a, why was that the mistake, or why, why didn't you rescue us this time? So, um, yeah, I think it sort of it comes both ways, but I think yeah, a lot of it is because we just feel the defensive sometimes. Yeah, it's like when you stub your toe on a on a 
large thing that you yourself have left there. And who the bloody hell left that there? <laughs> That's exactly it. It is exactly it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but look, you paid the price for that. I mean, that that is that is idiotic in the extreme. Getting yourself sent off for whacking your mate, isn't it? And that's, one that's wonders crazy. what other repercussions there might be because it, it points to a slightly awkward atmosphere in the within the the team as well. But anyway, that was. Glinterin against Coleraine. Let's talk about what happened at Villa Park. Not sure if Emmy Martinez would have been shouting at his teammates. Remarkable finish to this game. Wolves were 2-0 down with just 10 minutes left after Villa had scored through Danny Ings and then John McGinn. And yet the visitors emerged 3-2 winners. Not, what, quarter of an hour later? Yeah, I mean, I... It- People will offer more analysis on on Wolves than me, but I, I kind of saw this weekend as the luck of football because I didn't think those last ten minutes were any different to Brentford Chelsea's last ten minutes. The difference is that you know the ball hits Cody and goes in. There's a free kick that hits target and goes in. And I think sometimes that's just the way it goes when a team builds up ahead of steam. They will create. You know, Wolves did the same thing. They basically launched the ball into the box and hoped that chances would happen. And chances did happen and theirs happened to go in the net I mean Villa did slightly fall apart no doubt but that's what I love about football is that you can replay the same thing a hundred times and one thing will happen 50 times and another thing will happen 50 times 100 percent 100 percent what what is it that Premier League defenders aren't used to it's balls being hoisted into the box I mean a League Two side or a League One side all day every day it's not you know it's what we do but in the Premier League, everything's on the deck these days. Everything is so pretty and it's about movement and speed and, and, and skill. I'm amazed that it doesn't happen more often. Just just cause a bit of chaos. That's what Brentford do. Daniel's absolutely bad on. That's, that's all Wolves did. Cause chaos. And Villa were like, whoa, what do we do here? Started to panic. And yeah, it was. I, I love it. I love, love turnarounds like that. Um, and I think I think this would have been a game where Emi Martinez would have been completely right to be really quite angry with his defence because they just couldn't clear their lines, they couldn't step out, and so you could you could see the first two goals. It just balls keep on coming back. It's not like it's not the first attack. I think it's like a second or third wave, and they just can't escape. And I think eventually, yeah, people lose their bearings. But also, I think Wolves scored at a good time because they scored with ten minutes to go. That builds up a bit of momentum. That sows a bit of doubt in defenders' mind. Then they score with five minutes left, and I think at that stage, you know, Villa are properly panicking. All right. The final goal is lucky, but I think, yeah, I, I agree with the guys that some, some, sometimes the ball just falls, drops right for you, and it didn't drop right for Brentford, and it dropped right for Wolves. Certainly did. Wow, that's their fourth win in five games, three Premier League wins in a row for Bruno Large, who deserves credit, although he said, I, I got away with it this time with his attacking substitutions, really, to key that, that torrent of chances towards the end. First home defeat of the season for Villa, who are having a pretty inconsistent time of it. They won at Old Trafford, they outplayed Chelsea although they didn't get the result. And then this, one of those seasons, I guess. Uh, the yet-to-win club in the Premier League is now down to just three sides after Southampton picked up their first three points of this campaign at home to Leeds. Mention Armando Breuer getting uh, the goal on his first Premier League start. He's on loan from Chelsea, I read. He also scored the winner for Albania against Hungary during the international break. Woof. He actually scored two winners against Hungary in two months because he scored the winner back in September as well. He's been quite effective coming on as a sub for Albania. Wow. To be honest, I haven't been across Broye before. And uh, so I was listening to his post-match interview and I was like, huh, what are you from? And obviously he's, he's born in Slough uh, to um, Albanian parents. Uh, but he's like quite, di- I mean, his goals for Albania were absolutely quality, very direct um, uh 
powerful shot and everything. But and here I think maybe this is this is a striker that uh, Southampton need to finally replace Danny Ings, someone who is sort of di- directly goes for goal. And uh, I thought I thought he looked pretty impressive. Um, and he he made a huge difference because I think he really put Leeds on the back foot. I wonder if Hasenhutl, I mean Hasenhutl picked him instead of Adam Armstrong for this game. I wonder if he might consider a kind of more of a little and large partnership and have Armstrong running off Broha holding up the ball because he, he kind of played Nathan Redmond off Broha on 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 Saturday. But he's going to have to play Armstrong because you know he was the big summer signing to replacings and and, and Broja is not going to score every week. So I wonder if he might go for that front two and try and make something out of that. Great to see that from Broja for Albania and Saints. What about Leeds? Uh, things, we keep expecting them to pick up, but as yet, not really. No, it's, it's as weak a Leeds team as we've seen, I think, un, under Bielsa. But but that said, if if you take out Phillips, Rafinha and, and Bamford out of, out of your team, it, it's not going to be anywhere near as, as strong. But yeah, look, three shots in the game to, to Southampton's 19, it... Wow. It's very, very disappointing. Yeah, very poor from Leeds, who, for one, look, let's put it in base terms, don't seem to be running as hard or as fast or with as much zest as they did before. Who knows what that is down to, but they're not. I think this was the game, the first game since Bielsa managed in the Premier League with Leeds that, that his team had been outrun by the opposition. And, and I guess if you're going to be outrun by a team... It's no surprise that it's one coached by Hassan Hootel, who obviously demands you know, great, great work rate. Well, for now, Leeds sit precariously just above the bottom three, although they are three points clear of the drop and one point behind a trio of sides, Saints themselves, Watford and Palace, who could improve their position Monday evening uh, when they visit Arsenal at the Emirates. And indeed, with a win, Palace would take Arsenal's place in 13th. Crikey. Adrian, this game may have taken place by the time listeners hear this, but you're going along to the game, aren't you? Care to hazard a prediction? (laughs) I think Palace are very capable of making it a competitive game. It's a reality check for Arsenal at Brighton, very much second best in that match. So, yeah, can, can they... Can they assert their authority? Can they control the game against Crystal Palace? Um, it's a game that in the past they would have controlled and dominated, but not that sure whether that will happen this time around. Um, Arsenal are not a possession team at the moment. Palace are. Right. Patrick Vieira, who is sure to get a great welcome, has done a great job, I think, with some really tough fixtures. He's done a great job at remoulding the style very quickly. Here's one for you. They average 52 more passes per game, Crystal Palace, than Arsenal. I mean, this is Palace. Palace, who barely strung up any passes together at all if it wasn't on the counter-attack under Roy Hodgson. So mm. so he's he's really revamped their style. And yeah, I think they can they can give the Gunners a tough game. That's what bringing in a former Arsenal midfielder as your, your manager will do for you. Oh, no, hang on. <laughs> oh, well, anyway... <laughs> Well, we'll see what happens on that on, on Monday. Uh, but anyway, you mentioned Brighton and they were uh, the other team that was in action this weekend. It was a, a goalless draw away at Carrow Road, but one that has them in the top four, Brighton, somehow in the Champions League position still. Uh, that's their second nil-nil, second nil-nil as well for Norwich too. Norwich is an interesting thing. Not only have never won this season, they've never even taken the lead. They've had 34 shots since they last scored a goal. 
That's yeah. probably 33, though, right? Because we can't classify Josh Sargent's oh. miss of the season contender as a shot, can we? I mean, are we in agreement? If it doesn't there? reach I mean, the goal, is it a shot? You, so, you can't yeah, block shots, but it wasn't. Okay, this was yeah. last on match the day, and I may have, I may not have been paying full attention at this point. What, well, what did Josh was, Sargent do? He, he rounded the keeper. So it was, a, it was a ball hoisted over the top. The keeper right. comes out of the box. He goes around Sanchez. And, okay, he's 25 yards out, but it is an open goal. He does have ages to, to put it into the back of the net. And in essence, he just produced one of the wimpiest efforts <laughs> I've seen yeah. in Premier League history. He wouldn't be in my squad next week. It's that bad. I just wow. think he's, yeah, you're paid to score goals. That is a, the most presentable opportunity of the season. And Sounds like an angry manager having a go at angry goalkeepers here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. It was a shocker, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I think a defender eventually clears it, but the ball's pretty much stopped quite a few yards short of the line. And yeah, it's just, it just looked terrible. Having said that, Daniel Farker, can you, see, can you imagine him shouting at people? You can't imagine Daniel Farker well, shouting at anyone. I, I, just every time I see him and hear him talk, I am... Like I just struggle to imagine it. I mean, he, he says he speaks to me for he would speak to me for thirty seconds. I just I just want to hug him and stuff. And if he started <laughs> shouting at me, like I'd be like, this is this is it. This is the end of the world. I just I just don't even want to contemplate that. So poor Josh Sargent. If he gets shouted at by Daniel Farke, he's in a, he's in a dark place. I see. <laughs> All right. Well, Norwich generally in a bit of a dark place at the moment. Uh, but we'll see if next weekend brings better things. Uh, very shortly, we'll be talking about what's happening midweek. Sasha's got some interesting details on Leicester's next opponents. Uh, first of all, though, let's get some odds from Paddy Power. Carl Monaghan joins producer Charlie. Good morning, afternoon, evening, listener. Delete as appropriate. And happy Champions League match week three to you all. Lots to look forward to. Carl Monaghan is fresh from driving the Paddy Power boat down the Tyne. He knows where it's at. We're talking at Letico and at Atlanta. Liverpool are off to the Wander on Tuesday, and they don't have a good record against the Spanish champions. No, they failed to win Charlie Liverpool on their last three tips to the Wander, as Diego Simeone seems to have developed the knack for numbing the Liverpool attack when they visit the Spanish capital. But with Salah the hottest property in Europe at the moment, the Atletico defence will be kept on their toes for sure. Jurgen Klopp's men are also boosted by the return of Alisson and Fabinho, who missed the Watford game after the pair were away on international duty. This is going to be a tight game, you feel, though. The Paddy Power traders, Charlie, have priced it up as follows. Atletico Madrid 21-10, the draw is 23-10, and Liverpool are the 5-4 favourites. A score draw appeals for sure at 16-5, as there is plenty of ability in both sides' attacks. Salah is causing havoc at the moment, while the La Liga outfit have Luis Suarez and Antoine Griezmann leading their line. And if you fancy a certain bitey 34-year-old Uruguayan to score against his former club, go right ahead. Barca only got the treatment from Suarez a few weeks back. Then it's Man United against Atalanta on Wednesday night at Old Trafford. Will there be yet more last-minute drama with United in the Champions League, Carl? Well, Charlie, Man United fans will be hoping they can avoid Fergie time drama in this one as the lost out in Switzerland to young boys makes this a must-win game for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in terms of qualification from the group. Atalanta have been consistent performers in the last few seasons, to be fair, and despite the fact that they lie 11th in Serie A, present 10 points off the leaders, they are a side who will be no pushovers for the Red Devils. Rather alarmingly for United, Atalanta have been the top scorers in Serie A for the last three seasons, scoring a whopping 265 goals in that time. Wow! 
But the piece of form that will give United cause for concern, Charlie, is that Atalanta went to Villarreal and left with a 2-2 draw in round one. The same Villarreal who played United off the park for the majority of the game at Old Trafford a few weeks back. In terms of the match betting, Manchester United are the favourites at 4-5 to five to win it. The draw is 14-5 to five and the Italians are 3-1, to one, with Varane already ruled out. A United win and both teams to score looks the way to play it at 2-1. to one. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It is over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Totally Football League show. Adrian, you're on that this week. It's out a little bit later on Monday. Uh, Duncan Alexander will be hoping you guys talk about Wickham making their best start to a season in their history. And I will be hoping that you will try and match Neil Warnock's analysis of his own side boroughs. Fortunes to wit. My team is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> what? I mean, it's, it's, it's up there with the Josh Sargent miss as sounds one of the like most shameful of, acts of the weekend. Sounds like a sort of uh, last of the summer wine deep south. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You're right. Uh, now, also, Totally Football Show European Edition will be out early doors Tuesday. It'll be a packed one as well with Rafa, James Horncastle again, Julian Laurence and Alvaro Romeo because it's a busy week. You've got uh, the Champions League matches. Touched on one of those already. Uh, Man City. Where were Man City playing? Club Bruges. Oh, they're against Bruges. Right, and then Liverpool, Sash. At Atletico Madrid, who had the weekend off. That's interesting, isn't it? Because that was the patient zero game at Anfield. This time, with mm-hmm. with Britain being the petri dish of Europe, we we can we got a chance to kind of export our virus back to them. I and will be going to hopefully not export my virus, but I will be there in. Uh, oh, right. in excellent. And Chelsea play Malmo. Daniel, uh, have a have a great time in in Madrid. I've got, yeah, I've got a nice week. I'm doing that, and then I'm doing Barcelona Dynamo Kiev on the Wednesday, and Betis Leverkusen on Thursday. Crikey. So. Oh. Mm. Mm. Wow, tell who's in charge now, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll do. I'll do these games. I'll go to Spain I should for a stress week. that it's yeah. more that if I'm going to go away, I might as well go for three games than one and, and somewhere very, very nice. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Thirty-one uh, degrees in Seville today, so don't worry too much. Is that right? Twenty-one. Thirty-one. Thirty-one. Yeah. Apparently. Madness. That is mad. Mm. Um. Now, Europa League fixtures have been a bit rearranged this week. You've got one on Tuesday and one on Wednesday as well, which is troubling. It's all because of, I mean, you call it fixture congestion. It's the fact that Rangers are playing on Thursday in the Europa League and Celtic uh, therefore can't play at home and they can't play next week because you've got the climate change conference taking place in Glasgow then. So they have to, uh, they've shifted their game with French Farosh to Tuesday afternoon, a 3.30 kickoff, which is, a challenging one, I would imagine, for many of their supporters. The other game that's been moved, and this is because Spartak Moscow uh, can't play at home because Lokomotiv Moscow are in action against Galatasaray on Thursday. So Spartak will be hosting Leicester at 3.30 again on Wednesday. Crikey, 3.30 on Wednesday, that's UK time, is it? Yeah, so it's 5.30 in Moscow. It's a okay. bit, sort of bit, bit, more, bit nicer. Uh, they can, it's 30% capacity in the stadium, so they can have up to 13,000 fans. Right. Um, but looking at Leicester against United, um, I'm, I'm fearing again for Spartak. Having said that, I feared for Spartak before they went to Naples. Mm. And they got themselves a lucky break because um, 
like Mario Rui got sent off uh, in the first half. Uh, then they hooked Insigne, tried to play with 10, and Spartak exploited that opportunity in the second half and won 3-2 against, you know, flying Napoli side. This is one of Spartak's finest and, I have to say, most unexpected wins, uh, like probably in a European uh, history. Um, and the thing is, Spartak, as I mentioned before, are a club in a bit of a mess. Uh, new manager, very much up and down performances. At the weekend, they had a derby against Dynamo Moscow. They were 2-0 down. Um, and I think what's worrying, especially looking at the way Leicester play, they were getting cuts, like sliced, like just down the middle. Uh, Konstantin Tukavin scored the second 19-year-old. One of the uh, perhaps um, promising young stars in Russia, he scored um, the second, could have made it 3-0 with seven minutes to go pulled that one over and Sparta grabbed their chance with two very late headers. Um, so 2-2, but, you know, in terms of confidence for, for the f- in, in defence, you know, it doesn't fill me with confidence at all. Having said that, what is wrong with Brendan Rodgers and European football? He just can't do Europe. Like, mm. I'm, I find it so baffling. This And this, this was at Liverpool, this was at Leicester. Um, I just find it really odd. And also, sorry, at Celtic as well. There's absolutely horrendous defeats. Um, I find it really odd uh, that someone like him, it just doesn't quite hack it in, in, in the European um, competitions. Mm. So maybe this is Spartak's chance. I, you know, obviously Leicester have had quite a poor start so far um, in the first two games. So maybe Spartak have a chance around that. Right. Uh, a couple of other things around Spartak as well. There's going to be a moment, si- a minute silence um, before the game uh, because of the tragedy that happened on 20th of October 1982. Uh, there was... Um, Spartak played Harlem and there was a late goal and kind of fans went back and forth and there was gates closed um, and uh, the steps were slippery. 66 people died and several hundred right. were injured. Um, so that's, so that, that's, that's a Spartak's big sort of tragedy. Um, and another, but on slightly nicer note, um, they had a um, presentation before the game on, um, against Dynamo. Um, Nikita Simonian is 95 and Nikita Simonian is is a man from, from a long gone era. I mean, he retired in 1959. Uh, he won titles with Spartak in the 50s. Uh, he was part of the um, Soviet team that won the Melbourne Olympics in 1956, mm. like Soviet Union's first major, tro- major trophy. He's also the guy, for example, um, uh, many people didn't pick up on this, but uh, when Hungary recently reopened the, the, the stadium, he took the kickoff. And the reason for that was he played in, at the opening game of the Nepstadion. Uh, in 1953 against Honved. And I think he scored a tap and Spartak lost 3-2. And, the, you know, the guys who scored for Honved, it was Bozik, it was Kochish. So he's like, he connects us with an age that's has long disappeared. And, you know, he's around. He had a bit of a managerial career after he finished one couple of titles with Spartak, including stopping the first reincarnation of, you know, pressing Dynamo Kiev. Um, and then he's been sort of the grand old man of uh, Soviet and then Russian football. He worked in the national in the USSR team with Lobanovsky, which was quite unusual given that Lobanovsky always sort of saw more with a bit of suspicion but you know Simonian was one of those politically savvy guys get on with many people and then he kind of stayed in Russian football and you know he would until recently you know he'd run on and take kickoffs and stuff and he'd run off the pitch guy in his 90s so it was really nice touch and it's sort of heartening to see that he's still around because as I said like he connects us to an age of football which which is gone all right did they play Nikita when they did the presentation uh I don't know what Nikita is oh Nikita is it called no, I don't believe they did. <laughs> you don't know that song? I don't know that song. That Elton John Stone Cold classic? Nope. Nope. 
I, I'm gonna have to go and listen to it. I mean, but, but don't, actually, what, Sasha, for don't. your sake. <laughs> yeah. Not one of his best, to be fair. The video. What did it come out? Was, was it? Still, was that still the kind of Iron Curtain? Uh, came <laughs> no, I don't think so. This was kind of. This is late era Elton. Mind you, my oh. definition of late era Elton might def- differ from other people's. But yeah, I can't believe you've never seen it. It's the one where she's a foxy-looking um, Red Army officer drilling, not in that way. Um, her her kind of uh, her troops and Elton's kind of gazing wistfully from the other side of a checkpoint so I guess we're still in Cold War oh, right. era it must still be kind of late 80s uh, you know what um, must be quite confusing Nikita is very much uh, a male name in Russia right. well uh, you know Elton it's not going to be an issue that's, that's true that's true hmm but the video sure has taken a particular stance and maybe that was because attitudes in the late 80s were different I'm going anyway, to have to, have, have to seek this out, Unexpected social commentary there. <laughs> oh, Nikita, is it good? Ten tin soldiers in, your, in a row. Is that right? Te, yeah, counting your ten soldiers in a row. Mm. Oh, Nikita, you'll never know. Same era as uh, Sacrifice. Which is uh, okay. That, that I recognise. Okay. Right. Uh, this is, this has been an education, James. I well, and for me as out. well. And I'm sure for you, listener, too. What's that? You've got places to go? All right, then. We'll wrap this one up. Thank you so much, Sasha and Daniel. Have a great trip. Thank you as well, Adrian. Brilliant stuff. Look forward to reading all of your tactical breakdowns at PremierLeague.com, amongst other places. Producer Charlie, many thanks to you and you, listener. Of course, there's those other pods coming up Monday, Tuesday, etc. And then this show returns on Thursday to wrap up the Champions League fun and those early Europa League games. Do join us for that. And now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.